What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Overdraft fees are just the worst. Get up to 200 in fee-free overdraft with the Chime checking account. Sign up today at Chime.com goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Welcome to another episode of the 60 Cents Podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Johnson, with my co-host and co-site expert here, Christopher Klein. How are you doing tonight, Chris? I'm doing well, Lucas. How are you? I'm doing great. Let's get started. So we've got a lot of stuff that we, we got to talk about uh, since our last podcast. And I think the first thing that we have to yeah. do is uh, issue an apology for making a premature proclamation about Cork on Corkmas from our last one because me and you both yes. agreed that we thought that he his uh <laughs> he had reached his ceiling prior to yeah. off for a crazy stretch of games uh, shooting extremely well looking like JJ almost like JJ light um mm-hmm. extremely light but you know light and I think I think we both can agree that he's definitely starting to live up to his expectations of being a former first round pick yeah we both went pretty hard. On Furk on that last podcast, and I think most people in the Sixers fan base were probably on the same page. I don't think there was very much hope regarding Furk coming into the season. I know when we re-signed him over the summer, I was very much not enthused with that decision. So it's been ongoing, but Brett said he wanted to build a bomber or grow a bomber, and we've kind of heard that sentiment for a while now with Furk but I guess it worked now, and he's actually hitting shots, which has been a really nice change of pace. Um, obviously, the Sixers need shooting pretty badly, and he's been their best shooter so far. So that's a pretty big uh, – that's one way to earn minutes is to hit shots when no one else is. So he's been pretty much the sixth man for a week or two now. He's been starting um, with Joe and Al missing the past couple games, so he's – firmly in that rotation at this point it's been really impressive to see from him you know good for him he, he seems like a good kid person he's older than me but yeah <laughs> yeah good for him he, he looks good yeah no well i can actually call him a kid because he is younger than me but <laughs> no i definitely think it's it definitely the change happened when he hit that game winner against the portland trailblazers that was the i think we can definitely point to that and saying that was a turning turning point moment for Corcon. Ever since then, he's supplanted uh, Matisse as the sixth man and as the uh, go-to fill-in starter, as you have uh, already pointed out. 
The confidence is a sky high, and, and Brett Brown uh, said something else. I believe it was a, I believe it was after the uh, Charlotte game that the Sixers won that Forcon's not only doing great on offense, but his defense has improved. And if you look at the numbers, he, he has had had much better defense uh, overall. Yeah, than he's sure. had in the last couple of years. Now, obviously, he's nowhere close to being a two-way, you know, three and D player. We're not saying that, but he can. He he's playable now with his defense improved and obviously the shot making is huge i think he finally just broke his streak uh, of like shooting really well from the floor in the past game against the uh the magic war i believe and you can it, let, let me know if i got this wrong chris if it's yeah, i believe he shot one of six from three pointers but other than that he's been floating around 40 50 percent the whole this uh, for good stretch of games yeah uh, I believe it was, yeah, one of six. Yeah, cool. Yeah, like you said, his defense is at least passable this season. I, I wouldn't qualify it as good, but it's much better than it has been in the past. He's competing really hard. Like Brett said, he's getting down in a stance, and he, he's not as easy to pick on as he has been the past couple seasons. And the Sixers really just need guys who are confident to shoot it when they're open. We have. I haven't seen that with too many of the players on the team this season, and Furkan has stepped into that role. He's been shooting open shots. That's really all the Sixers need out of him, and he's been doing it at a high level. He's 40.7% on the season, which is over 6% more than his career average. So it's been a really solid start for him. And I, you know, knock on wood, it looks like he's like here to stay as a legit rotation piece. Definitely, and you know the great thing is that he's he's uh, his contract is guaranteed for this season. He has an option that's uh, no, his second year is not fully guaranteed until the summer, so he's still on a cheap deal, which helps the Sixers, you know, build hopefully next summer, you know, fill out the roster where needed. So because he's probably going to go because if this shooting continues, you know, like you said, knock on wood, he's going to get a pretty penny you know, on his next contract. So it's good that the Sixers have him under contract for another season uh, if they I choose to fully agree uh now you said that you know four is one of the few players that are shooting with confidence there are a lot of players that aren't <laughs> playing with confidence this uh this past uh couple of games uh let's start with the most obvious one here the dude who's getting 180 million dollars maybe that's right yeah oh uh-huh tobias harris yeah yeah you Tobias. just wrote about Tobias, so I'm going to let you take the lead on this did. one. Yeah. Um, he hasn't been good. He's missed, like, 23 straight threes, right? Uh, I believe it's 18. 18? Either yeah. way, that's a lot of threes in a row not hitting the net. So, yeah, for someone who shot over 40% both his seasons with the Clippers, that's a pretty drastic fall. I, I do think there's going to be positive regression. Like, I don't think Tobias is a 20% three-point shooter. I think that's going to go up. I think we're going to get a hot streak at some point, or at least decent shooting at some point. But it's definitely a concern. He looked pretty good early in the season, mm-hmm. but he's been pretty hesitant to shoot, um, save for that Cavs game where he shot 11. And the one time he did shoot a lot, he missed all of them. So it hasn't been the best the best season so far for Toby. They, he, he really needs to be shooting more threes than anyone else on the roster consistently every night. He Brown called him a six foot nine Redick, and that's kind of the role he needs to fill. 
you know, spacing again is an issue, and he's supposedly the best shooter on the roster. Uh, so he needs to step up and fill that role. Again, they're paying him max money. He, I, I was all for it over the summer. I thought it made sense in context of what they gave up for him and what he meant to the team and their financial situation. I was all for it, but he, I'm, I think there's reason to be a little bit on edge. I wouldn't panic yet. I'm strongly against panicking. I think it's way too early for that. But Tobias has definitely been a dud for a good chunk of these first 11 games, which is a bit of a concern. Yeah, I tend to agree with you on all those points. And, you know, it, the, his three-point problem started last season, too. Let's not forget that last season with the Sixers, he shot only 32% from the three-point line. So this has been an ongoing issue for Tobias, and maybe mm-hmm. it's just him. And we got to also remember he switched positions this year, and he's having small forwards on him, defending him now versus small mm-hmm. forwards. So we have, to, we have to remember all this in context. But at the same time, you look at, uh, and you know, I I I love Brett Brown, and I you know, but you gotta look at the trends here. Most players that play under Brett Brown don't aren't the best three point shooter, or just don't have the same confidence in through their three point shot in Philly versus other teams. Like even Markel Fultz, yes, he's shooting terribly in Orlando, but yeah, he's shooting. With I don't confidence. know if we can lob Fultz into that just because he had the whole shoulder thing. Fair enough. But fair enough. otherwise, you, you, yeah, you, you get, I, you get I what agree. I'm saying. It's a yeah, weird so, trend. I, I don't so, even know if we can put it on Brett. It might just be a Philly thing. Like maybe it's all the stomach viruses. People seriously. Just don't feel good. Yeah, maybe seriously. Just I mean, sick all the time. Could be. Could be. Uh, could be. Uh, God forbid maybe the Philly cheesesteaks, man. It's a weird place. <laughs> but no, um, you know. So I think I think it's something that we definitely need to keep an eye on. You know, definitely, hopefully he can break out of it soon. I'm going to be having an article coming out tomorrow about, you know, he's as Tobias as one of the uh, players to watch and, uh, for Philly in this next matchup. But the uh, other player mm-hmm. that we have uh, that we should be worried about, um, the other starter anyway, because there's one other player uh, off the bench that we've got to talk about here with lack of confidence in their three-point shot. But, uh, ben Simmons, man. Um it's not looking good, like a good season not for Ben. Not an elite shooter. No. Not what? No. Well, not even that. He's <laughs> his aggression has gone down, Chris. Let me tell you something. I look at. I'm looking at. He's having career low field goal attempts and career low in uh, free throw attempts. Now, granted, mm-hmm. part of that probably is the fact that he missed almost the whole entire game against the Jazz. Uh, yes. Was it the Jazz? Yes. Yeah. The Jazz. But I, yeah. But you see, but it's something different about Ben this season. You when you watch him, he's not he's not as aggressive outside of that first game against Boston where he made that statement. We all thought, okay, maybe this is the new Ben. It's a new Ben, but mm-hmm. it's a regression of the old it's Ben. It's a worse Ben. It's a worse Ben because wow, his rebounds are down, his assists are down, his <laughs> point his scoring's down, his turnovers are up. The only positive yeah. is that he's become more locked in on the defensive end, which is Has great. He, you know, uh, well, he's second in steals know. and in top five yeah. in deflections. So I mean, but I mean, we've also seen Westbrook and Harden be up there with steals recent seasons. You know, Westbrook's not always the most locked-in defensive guy. Fair so, enough. But so. yes, I agree. He is a generally a pretty elite defender. So or, so. On that level. So we're looking at this, and it's Ben and. You know, it is his third season, 
technically fourth in the league, but third playing. And most players usually hit that third, you know, you see players and sometimes they hit their third season wall. Mm -hmm. Second second and third season walls are a real thing. You think Ben's unwillingness to shoot Chris is causing, is a big part of why this wall has come out because teams have had two seasons to scout Ben now. Yeah. It looks like, and it looks like it's that, that scouting is paying off now because it's just, it's, and then, you know, obviously it's not all yes. scouting. I think it's a mindset with Ben too. But you look at it, and it's just, it's it's not good looking. No, yeah, I think Ben is an extremely unique player in a very unique situation where I think he would be a lot better individually on a different team, probably that's maybe more suited to his skill set. Mm-hmm. But I also don't think, by that same token, that Philly can't win without him I don't think that's a, a thing I think it's just there are natural limitations to what he can do given the construction of the roster and that's what happens when you have four or five all-stars on the same team it's just what happens I do think that maybe the shoulder injury is playing a role in this and his willingness to maybe get to the rim you know embrace contact etc because he did look really good those first couple games especially the Boston game ridiculously good he was hitting all these touch shots around the rim. He was, you know, going up court full speed, getting to the basket consistently. It was a really good showing from him. He was their best player that first week, I think. So, yeah, it's been a weird past few games for him. I'm not too concerned because of the shoulder thing. I think he gets better. But he needs to be more aggressive. His free throw shooting is down. His points, his rebounds, his field goal percentage, all that, like you said, is down. I think he's had a few defensive lapses even uh, more than we're used to from him. So it's just been a weird few games for him. I'm hoping once the starting five is intact and healthy and playing together consistently, that things shake out a little differently. But it's definitely a concern. And I I don't know if it's a third season wall, but it's it's getting to the point where it's valid to have some worries that Ben might not reach the ceiling that some have expected him to reach. I think you make a valid point there. Um, especially, I honestly, I've been thinking to myself lately, I was like, what if Ben just stays where he's at? Can Philly win where Ben's not shooting even jump shots? Because, yes. you know, you look at it, because honestly, you know, you haven't, uh, uh, I'm thinking of the games that I've watched this season, and I've watched a handful, but not all of them, so I can't rightfully say for sure. But uh, and I'd have to look at Ben's, uh, you know, shot chart or shot percentages, um, but from distances. But it looks like he's barely attempted any outside shots at all at this mm-hmm. point. You can uh, you let me know outside of the Boston game because the Boston game is the only one that I can remember where he actually took like a mid range shot. But that was like yeah. such a special event because you know the whole entire team cleared out. You know it was an ISO on uh, Gordon Hayward and he missed the shot. Shanghai was so long ago. Yeah. Years so, ago. So, so, you know, it makes me wonder, will Ben ever, because the only three-pointer he's made in his career as a sixer was in preseason against a non-NBA team. Mm-hmm. So it makes me concerned about that. Uh, yeah. I still think, you know, he's still a unique player. He's still one-of-a-kind player. He's still going to get multiple All-Stars. I don't think he's going to be, like, where he's at right now, he's still going to get, like, triple doubles, you know. But yeah. I, don't... I think Ben right now is in his current state, maybe not his current state, but, like, his normal state. 
Mm-hmm. He's probably still a top 20, 25 guy. Mm-hmm. Like, he's really good. And I think he's still underrated to a pretty severe degree by a lot of people. I'm of the belief, you asked, like, if he could, if the Sixers can win with Ben not hitting jumpers. Yeah, I think so. I, I don't think that's at all impossible. I think when he plays off ball more as a screener, we've seen that be successful. So I think maybe with a few tweaks to his role, and when he really, when he's really locked in, he's still a really good player. So yes, I think they can win with him as he is. And again, I'm not too concerned right now, but it, it's definitely starting to have the early feelings of him maybe plateauing a bit, which is a bit disappointing. Well, you you see players plateau for a while and then they pick it back up like Andrew Wiggins this season. I mean, gosh, you know, we thought that he was just going to be like a Rudy Gay type player. But now he's starting to prove to be a more well-rounded player in this early sample of the mm-hmm. season. But so, you know, who knows? Hopefully Ben can, you know, get it. But I think when you think about, you know, people said that Markel Fultz had the yips when he when it came to shooting mm-hmm. outside shots. But I don't think that's fair on Markel because at least he attempted them, Chris. Markel was hurt. I do think, like, people really underrate the fact that his shoulder was definitely screwed up. Like, he didn't just forget how to shoot coming out of Washington. I don't think that was all 100% mental. Like, he was definitely hurt, and it kind of snowballed from there, which I I really don't think we gave enough weight to that when he was still here in Philly. Like, he was hurt. That's and, and I and I make that point to say this, Chris, is that I think Ben does have the yips in uh, form oh, yeah. of, with with the three point shot because he's not even trying it, Chris. Whenever he tries yeah. it, it's usually yeah. a heave at the end of the game or end of a quarter. So I think we can definitely say that Ben has the yips when it comes to. Well, I don't think we can definitely say, but it appears to be that Ben has the yips when it comes to three point shooting and. It's definitely a mental thing with Ben, and I don't know if it's it's an unwillingness or if it's a fear or just because he's had plenty of opportunities this season. Chris, yep. you, me, and you both seen it. He teams have left him wide open. He even said in preseason and during media day that if he had wide open three pointers, he would take, it, and he hasn't. So yeah, it's in his head for sure. It's in yeah. So I think I think it's not going to be. I don't even know when he's going to hit his first three-point attempt in the regular season, Chris. I don't even know if it's going to happen this year. Earlier in, this yeah. pre, in the preseason, I think I said that he was going to hit attempt 25. I don't even know if he's going to attempt five this season. Now, Chris. Yeah. Just based the off six, of what I've seen. The Sixers are such a weird team when it comes to shooting. Like, Ben's mm-hmm. in his head. We had the whole Markel thing. I feel like Tobias is kind of getting in his head now. Furkan was in his head the first couple years. Like, I don't know what happens when people go to Philly. Again, they're like shooting. It's weird because Tobias, Jay Rich, Al Horford have all been really good shooters, and they're all way below their career averages right now. Mm-hmm. Again, it's only 11 games. It'll probably go back up, especially mm-hmm. Tobias. He's not going to shoot 20% from three this season. If he does, the Sixers are in a whole lot of trouble. But that, that'll be another conversation for another day if that does indeed happen. But it's just I guess weird. It, it yeah. feels like it's just a Philly thing. I don't feel like other teams have these things happen to them. It's just weird. I, I really don't know what's going on there. I don't know. I And, you know, I don't want to say it's on Brett, because, but, you know, you look at the team. Yeah. I don't know. 
I don't know, man. It's it's hard to say because even JJ's second year with the Sixers, JJ Redick, of course, his three point percentage was down a little bit. Now it wasn't down significantly, thirty nine percent. But you know, JJ's an elite shooter. You know, one of the best three point shooters yeah. in the NBA. And uh, you know, me and you talked about this before the podcast. You know, you wouldn't you wouldn't you know not entertain the idea of trading back for JJ. And I I guess it would have to be the right deal for me where we don't give up any really good young assets. But, um, yeah, JJ, JJ would definitely help in this situation that the Sixers mm-hmm. have right now. He could definitely act as a six-man. Him and Forkon, man, could you imagine? That would that would fix all the shooting. That'd be nice. And, uh, I mean, you can trade for Marco. I hope not. Marco, uh, no, well, yeah, he's, he's on a lot cheaper contract. Isn't he only he, on a – Yeah. What I is he, $7 million? That, this season, you probably still minute? have to give up like Mike, and I wouldn't trade Mike for Marco. No, I wouldn't trade Mike for yeah. Marco, but I would trade. I would trade uh, Ennis and a. Uh, I wouldn't trade Ennis. Uh, I, think I don't know, man. Ennis is another one of those. Ennis can at least defend and rebound and get to the rim. He can rebound, can't he, man? Gosh, I have never seen a wing offensive rebound I mean, like that. Except had for, to like, give up Jonah in like a second or two. Cool. Why not? But I wouldn't give up anyone who's actually in the rotation for Marco. Give up shit, as much shit, as I love Marco give, when he was here. He, I don't you, know. I wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do Shake and Jonah for Marco? I wouldn't do Shake. Uh-uh. I would well, do I honestly, Jonah sorry, and like Kyle or, or, or Trey. Sure. I would not give up Kyle for anything right now. Kyle is the insurance policy. That yeah, not Kyle. I, I rescind that comment. <laughs> Jonah and Trey. Man, don't do that to Trey, man. I love Trey. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't give up anything of substantial value for Marco. Fair it's enough. I'm just thinking about play. contracts working. But you brought up Shake here and you know, before the injury, he was shooting forty four percent from the three point line. Mm-hmm. He and he's a better defender than Forcon is too. So True. I think with time Shake could end up Taking over, and, you know, we were both shocked by how well Shake began the season, um, you know, minus that first game. But he played, what, one minute? But the first two games, the second and third game, he played very well. So I think there is a possibility here that Shake could eventually take over Neto's role as backup point guard. Because you want to keep Fork on and Ennis out on the court. I get that. Yes. And you want to make sure Scott and Oquin get their minutes, you know, respectively as well. So Neto would be the odd man out. And I've and I've talked to you about this. I still think Trey and we 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 agree to disagree, but I I feel Trey is still better based mm-hmm. off the needs of the Sixers bench, which is scoring right now. Because Forkon's the only player that is averaging above seven points per game off the bench. Howell has been pretty decent. With his scoring, you know, like he's gotten to the rim, hit some really nice shots. He's hitting threes for the most part. Like he hasn't been bad. And I and I and I'm not debating that he's not been bad. He's been actually he's had a very solid year compared to his, you know, his numbers. Like he's having a very, you know, good year. But for me, the Sixers are 24th bench scoring right now. Mm-hmm. Burke can get, can go off for 15, 20 points if you need him to. In two games, he scored yeah. fifth in limited minutes. So. I, you know, and I understand that Burke sometimes is a past offer, and I get that his defense isn't always on point. I get that. Yeah. But you have more than enough capable defenders in the second unit to cover up his defensive lapses. And 
Mm. Right now, scoring is really what the bench needs. Burke does that better than Neto. And, you know, like I said, I have nothing against Neto in this. Mm-hmm. Like, I agree with you. He's been playing phenomenal. And I think he's a much better stopgap starter for, you know, if Ben misses any more time versus Burke. I'm not debating that. But yeah. I, I think – and. That just reminds me of a slightly better three-point shooting J, uh, TJ McConnell, and that's you know that's by a no, in, means an insult because you know I love TJ, yeah. but at the same time TJ's, TJ's been has, playing well this year. He has been. Playing. It seemed to like him in Indiana. He might be better than Trey Burke. You can make that argument. Mm, better overall, but not maybe as a, not in Philly. But overall, in a vacuum, you can make the argument. You could, but like I said, I'm not looking for Burke to do everything else. I'm just looking for points off yeah. the bench. And that's why I think Burke is like I don't know if that's like I don't know if that's the right way you want to increase the points. Because you lose well, so much in mm-hmm. other areas to where it like it might balance itself out in a negative way. Like, you might score more points, but you're also losing a lot on defense, and your ball movement's going to go down. I'm just not sure it's a net positive there. Well, okay, fair enough. But And I, like, and I, and I wrote this this afternoon. You, can get, you guys can check it out on the website here um, at the Sixer Sense. But basically what I'm saying is until James Ennis and, you know, Matisse Thibault, and we'll talk about Matisse here in a minute here, but um, – you look at them, they're not shooting three-pointers very well until they mm-hmm. can increase their scoring averages by increasing their three-point percentages. You have to find points elsewhere. And as good as Neto is, he's not a firecracker on offense. He's he's a traditional backup point guard, which is not an insult at all. But the Sixers need is another scorer to go along with for concourse. Burke is the yeah. best capable of doing that. That's my argument for it. I understand that, Chris. I know that you love Neto, mm-hmm. so I'm not gonna. I'm not I don't gonna. Know if I love Neto, I just think he's better. But yeah, you, I you was get... on the Burke train over the summer. I've just been turned. I've turned to the the dark side of Raul, Raul Neto. <laughs> That's where I'm at. Fair enough. But moving on to Matisse, though. Well, he's... I want to go back to one point you made. Okay. Yes, about Shake maybe taking Neto's spot. I think the Sixers are short on shooting, obviously, and ball handling. I think what's more likely there is that Shake would take Matisse's minutes. I feel like Matisse is kind of the guy that's on the fringe there. I think Neto, Shake, Furkan, Ennis, and Scott might be the best five-man group considering Philly's needs. I've been all in on giving Matisse minutes. I'm still there. I still think he should be able to play through his struggles. But with the way things are going, I think if any of those guys are going to lose their spot in the rotation, it's probably Matisse. That's a fair argument. I can see that. I just, I like, I think based off of what we've seen in the preseason with Shake at the point guard position and having him being, him and and, uh, Josh Richardson splitting that role and him playing off of Ben Simmons when he's in, when Simmons is in, I like that more than Neto. And that's just, and I like the fact that I feel like we're only scratching the surface of what Shake can do. So mm-hmm. Remember in the G League last year, he averaged 24 points, almost five rebounds and five assists, almost. Yeah. So 
So I think we're only scratching the surface of what Shake can do. So I, you know, they used him as a combo guard in the G League last year. I think it, yeah, I think it's more about just getting as much offensive variety on the floor as you can. I would still argue that Neto is probably a better point guard than Shake. So, oh, he definitely is. But yeah. in terms so of I, like I playmaking, both different. of them on the floor consistently would probably have its benefits. Yeah. But let's uh, let's go ahead and transition to Thibault because Thibault looked like the best defensive player in the first like five games of the season, mm-hmm. and then we Bre- Brett Brown realized how much he needs work on the offense vent because yes. it's not been pretty. Turnovers are there, the force got hurt, there, and Ben got hurt, so you can't really. And it made it clear that Richardson's not going to be able to be the backup point guard the full season. That yeah. that. That made that clear. And Neto, like you said, has played very well. And, you know, I'm not disagreeing with you uh, in, as the backup point guard. Yes. You know, especially by his standards. So I, I like that. Um, so, you know, you look at Matisse, and he's still, I think he's still going to be one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. But right now, he's kind of on where uh, Andre uh, Roberson was before his injuries, you know. Very limited offensively. Um, great defensively, but just very limited offensively. Um, and I, like you said, I, I expect Matisse to regress to the mean of where he was in college, where he was around a 35% shooter for his career there. So I expect Matisse to get a little bit better at three-point shooting as the season goes on. You, I think he's on the outside looking in on the rotation right now. He might be that 11th man off the bench some nights. Is I think Porkon and Ennis have definitely locked down the two wing rotational spots for the time being. Yeah, it's been an interesting season for Matisse. Like you said, there's been some pretty considerable ups and downs. He's been pretty good the past couple games. Mm-hmm. Like he's done what he does. He gets into passing lanes. He gets blocks. Like he's all over the place, and it's he's really a kind of a unique weapon in that sense. He he does create a lot of issues for the opposing offense. He just makes he he just he forces turnovers and he's really good at that and it's a big advantage for Philly. But until his offense kind of picks up, I do think he is at risk of kind of maybe not dropping out of the rotation entirely because it does seem like Brett is willing to go ten deep pretty consistently and and he wants to get Matisse minutes. And I think that's tr- both of those things are true now, but. He's probably the odd man out if the rotation ever does shorten up, assuming Shake gets back to speed, which I would expect he does. Just given the Sixers' need, Matisse can't really dribble yet. He hasn't been great from three, so he's a fairly limited option there. And just with how limited they are as a whole offensively when it comes to creation, you're yeah, he's probably the closest to being the odd man out. So I have a question question for you, Chris. Now we we recently saw that Jonah Bolden was assigned to the Blue Coats. Yeah. Zaire is already there. Shayok and Nor uh, Norville Pella, uh and I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. I'm terrible at enunciation, guys. But uh, they're already there on two way contracts. If Matisse's th- uh, if Matisse's offense does not seem to progress at any you know at the midpoint of the season, do you think Brown could send him down for a few games in the G League to get him some good run there, to get him some good practice, trying to get his offensive game back in the rhythm before 
bringing him back up? Yeah, I, I don't think that's impossible at all. I think a lot of rookies kind of go through that phase, especially guys outside the top 10 or 15. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely, if he does fall out of the rotation completely, then I can for sure see that happening. Um, I don't think it's a death sentence or anything if you get put down there. Obviously, Shake was on a two-way last year, and he's on a full contract getting minutes this season. I don't think the Sixers have given up on Zaire. Uh, I do have my concerns that he's just in the G League kind of permanently right now. It makes me a bit uneasy. But I don't think they've given up on him. I still think he's a really interesting and intriguing long-term prospect. So, yeah, 100% possible. Yeah, no, I... I, It's like he might get a full contract at some point here if he keeps up what he's doing. If Shaq keeps up what he's doing, he's going to get a full contract before the All-Star game. Actually, no, they can only give out two-way contracts until January, I believe, 9th. So Mm -hmm. it would have to be before then. So that if they want to replace him with another two-way. But my point being is, and you make a good point, I believe he scored 36 in this season opener for the Bluecoats and 42 in the next game. And now I need to be fact-checked on that one. But, yeah, no, he's gone. No, 34 in the season opener, my mistake. He's had 76 points total so far this season. But Cheok, he is looking... Honestly, before the season, and I, I, and I am a big Shayok lover. Let me tell you, Chris, I, I do. I think, honestly, I thought he could have had a rotational spot, like uh, at least based off of his offensive skills, like right away. And his defense is not far behind. So, you know, man, if he keeps on tearing it up like this in the G League, you know, he's going to leave the G League in scoring, which I think he is right now. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right that he could end up getting a contract this season, especially if somebody gets hurt or if they make a trade, which mm-hmm. is possible. Actually, if they make a trade and they send out more players than they get back, I fully yeah. expect I fully expect Shayok's contract to get converted. And you mm-hmm. know, you talk about Pell as uh, you know, you talked about people getting promoted in G League. Pell was just an affiliate player last year for the Blue Coats, and now he's on a two-way contract. So. You know, definitely not a death sentence going down to the Coats. You know, they got a great player development program. And, you know, I understand your concerns about Zaire, but we have to remember his age. He's only, what, 19? He he played power forward in high school and in part, you know, for portions of his college playing days. So he's really kind of learning the game. You know, last year he had the whole entire health scares with broken ankle and the allergy attack. So this is really, you know, we have to remember this is a developmental year. And he's not going to get he's not going to break the rotation right now because he's still very raw on both ends of the floor. So as much as we like to see what he did in summer league and everything, I think we have to temper our expectations and expect him to be in Delaware for a good portion of the season. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think Zaire is going to be down there a lot this year. I, the goal is probably for him to maybe try to crack the rotation next season. I do think he's like a insanely, obviously he's an insane athlete. He has shown like his ability to defend on ball, which is something the Sixers should still value. 6'10 wingspan. He's plenty long to kind of fit into what they do. Uh, I think he's going to be a really good defender. So I do think he's an NBA talent for sure. Um, and with Shayok, 
the only question becomes if they, if they do want to upgrade his contract is who do you cut? It's probably Trey, but I know you're you might be against that. I don't know who else I you would cut. Totally against that. You could, you I know, I I see uh, Brian Jacobs cut. of the Panthers. They Lions. can't cut Furcon anymore. If you asked me before the season, I'd have been like Furcon, but now Furcon's good. So I don't know. Well, you know, I you know, and we talked about Jonah Bolden going to the G League, and you know, you know yeah, Brian Jacobs of the Painted Lines, and uh, he's he's been rumored for he's he's heard the rumor for he's been I guess he's heard from his sources, you know, that uh, you know Jonah Bolden's been on the trading block for a while, so it could be Jonah. Um, you know, I I think that you you can't give up on Jonah right now, but. You know, all, you know, foul problems still linger, and uh, you got Mike Scott, so you really don't need to. You don't really need Jonah right now. And actually, yeah, uh, I think Pella's surpassed him as the emergency backup center behind uh, Horf, uh, uh, behind Kyle, because uh, he was sent down to the G League before the uh, Orlando game, and Pella was still on the uh, oh, roster. Yeah. So I think Pella's uh, honestly, Pella might be pushing for a uh, Bolden spot, which I wouldn't be too surprised with but i mean that's not good for bolden good for pella though yeah it'd either be trey or jonah there's really no other options at this point um i'd probably lean trey just because he's older but it's okay either way you know i'd actually go bolden more because i feel like you have better yeah. depth at the center position than you do the point guard position i don't disagree with that but yeah, you can probably get more on the trade block for Jonah than you can for Trey. That Trey, you might get like consider. conditional. You might get a conditional second rounder for Trey, but probably more or less cash considerations. Like you might actually get a decent, maybe not a decent, but you might get a, a player for Jonah. I don't know. Yeah, you, you might get a player, player or a good, uh, protected second rounder. Yeah. No, depending on so what team value. Long term, it might. Behoove them to keep Jonah if they plan to make a move at the deadline, which they oh, yeah. probably should. I don't think they should just stand pat all season. They should be looking to make moves if there are moves available. Yeah, the question, and you know, we talked about JJ coming back, and that would be great, but I don't see how that happens. Just I don't even the know money if that JJ. Possible. I don't think it is, and not unless yeah. you give up somebody like Richardson, which I wouldn't. Um, Despite his struggles, he's still a much better defender than JJ. Yeah. Uh, and ball better ball handler, for sure. Yeah. But you know, you look at it, and it's be hard to bring back JJ. But we have to think about the backup point guard market. I think that's, you know, like we both said, we both acknowledge that Neto's been playing well, but he, the the upgrade at the position is needed, preferably somebody that can launch threes like crazy. Yeah. Um, I don't know who that would be. The only one that comes to mind is Quinn Cook, but. Lakers aren't giving him up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know we, you know that that would have to be something that the Sixers would have to figure out. But you want to talk a little bit of general NBA before we wrap this up, real quick, quit, Chris? Sure. I'm. Um. Okay. Hold on. I'm trying to see if there's a trade for JJ that works in the trade machine. Okay. Let me know. Hold on. Let uh, me do this. While, while you're doing that, I'm gonna let our our fans know that. Uh, Carmelo Anthony's no longer on the market. He has signed with the Portland Trailblazers, which I think was probably the best landing spot for Carmelo, to be honest with you guys. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Because they needed power forward. 
he's a power mm-hmm. forward. They needed a third score. He's a third score. Defensively, he's not going to give them a lot, but offensively and need you know just pure having a you know powerful a capable power forward i think that's a good fit for carmelo good for him i'm glad that he got a second chance i know damian lillard's been you know crusading for carmelo to come to portland for a while now so i'm glad that that happened i believe the deal is non-guaranteed from what i understand unless chris you've heard otherwise that's what i saw okay so if the Sixers trade Scott, Zaire, and two of the minimum guys and take no one else on except for J.J., they can do it. You would have to convert both <laughs> Pella and – I mean, it's possible. You could, I don't you'd know have what to the Pelicans would do. They don't have three open roster spots. They'd probably have they, to wave them or send those players to another team that has uh, yeah. salary space. Yeah. They definitely yeah, keep Zaire, possible. I tell you. It could that. be a three-team trade. Yeah, you could. Yeah. But the Pelicans would definitely keep Zaire in that one. And depending on who the other two players are, they might keep one or two of them. But they would have to send those other players to a, another team. Um, what if – hey, just a thought. No, it's not going to happen but, is well, the basic point here. <laughs> yeah, the basic point. But in a make-believe world that it could happen, what if Jaleel was put into that deal? Jaleel? I don't think Jaleel would really play here. No, nah, probably not. But it would like, be. I it think Kyle is probably. A better oh, he's fit. much better. He's a much better yeah. fit. I'm just saying, from my nostalgia standpoint, for me that would Plus, be. Plus, does fun Jaleel want to come back to Philly? Probably not. Uh, probably. Yeah. Um. So, Chris, tell me, what has been a major surprise for you in the NBA uh, so far um, since our last talk? Because we definitely had some surprises so far. What's one of your surprises? Um. Hmm. I mean, obviously, Phoenix is a legit good team this year. That's been stole cool. My, yes. Boston's the number one seed. Didn't see regular. that one coming. They're uh, it's the regular legit. season. <laughs> it's, it's the regular season. Yeah. Regular. I mean, I wouldn't bet on them over Philly in a playoff series yet. Uh, but Boston looks yeah, legit. Yeah. Miami looks really good. I was pretty high on Miami coming into the season. Maybe not as high as they currently are. But I was on the Miami train, so I'm somewhat proud of myself for that. I think we collectively, as the Sixers fan base, has collectively underrated Jimmy at this point. But, you know, I understand that. Obviously, Trey in Atlanta has been off the charts. Might Like, he's been insane. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to, like, go MVP conversation or anything, because I don't think that's realistic, but... If he keeps this up, he's obviously an all-star. And Atlanta might win a lot more games than they were initially expected to, despite having a pretty crap roster around him. Like, Trey's been good enough to win them games that they probably shouldn't have won so far. So he's been impressive. Yeah. Just No, I definitely I, – I tend to agree with Atlanta. Uh, though, okay, the um, John Collins, I thought that was going to be the end of it. But Jabari Parker is – is starting to look like his old his old self again, isn't he, a little bit? Jabari Parker and Andrew Wiggins aren't like total dumpster fires. They're, they're, they're the former uh, – They actually, no, they were in the same draft. making as, a comeback. Yeah, because, uh, well, I mean, yeah, because Joel Embiid was easily the best player in that draft. He still uh, is. He still is, but, you know, but, Wiggins, but, but yes. Wiggins is starting to look like an all-star. Jabari's looking mm, like a all-star. I know – in the it's, West. 
is in the wet. Okay. But mm. if you were, I don't but know if, if I would go that far. He's looking like a productive NBA player. Chris, he's averaging 25 points, five yes. rebounds, he five assists. Good. Okay, let's let's give him a little bit more credit. Yes. Probably not this year. Probably not. It's probably just going to be Cat. In order to get two players in the All Star, but he's playing at an All Star level. That's what I'm trying to say here. Is that he's playing at an All Star level? 25 points, five five rebounds, five assists. That's All Star level in my opinion. Yeah. Tobias Harris was an All Star level player last year and he didn't even get close to that he was 20 points eight rebounds two assists so yes let's let you know let's yeah wiggins wiggins is playing very good jabari's yeah. looking like his, sure. his old self like he was prior to his most recent catastrophic knee injury when he was with the bucks last he's played i think he's been a surprise he's been a revelation for Atlanta. for sure I, I didn't think the Timberwolves and uh, the Suns would still be this hot. I think they're starting to look like legit playoff teams. Um, Phoenix especially. Like Phoenix, Phoenix especially. Because once Aiden comes back, because Aaron Baines... Shout out been, to Monty Williams. Aaron Baines looks good. Like, do you put him back on the bench when Aiden comes back? Because Aaron Baines has been really good. Mm-hmm. He's going to be a... Next time he gets paid, he's going to get paid big. It almost makes you wonder, like, whether or not they should cash out now at the trade what, market. trade them? Nah, trade nah. Boston. They, they need a center. Seriously. <laughs> nah, I think Boston's probably going to either get Marcus Saul or Steven Adams. I think that's that's who they're going to go after, one of those two, because those two make sense for them, especially Marcus Saul because he's on a one-year deal. Um, if they have the money to do that, then that, sure, for sure. Toronto yeah. looks really good. I don't know if Toronto's going to be dealing. Like, they're a legit good team. Yeah, Pascal Siakam basically became Kawhi Leonard this season. I saw that on Twitter and it made me. But, you know, you look at the stats, though. He's good. He's he's going to be an all-star this year. Oh, for sure. Yeah. He might win most improved again. He could go back-to-back. Is that even has that even even happened before? Well, know. you're right, it could. But it seems like a legit possibility if he keeps it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Derek Rose. Let let me give a shout out to Derek Rose because Derek Rose is starting to look like well, not MVP Derek Rose. I don't think we'll ever see that again. But he's looking like an All Star. Yeah, looks good for sure. I think what is he averaging right now, Chris? Like around 20 points. Um. I'm not in front of a computer, so I can I can look that up. I got it. Derek Rose. Rose. He is averaging 18.7, 6.1 assists, 52% from the field. He's only 16% from three, which isn't the best number. But yeah, he's looked really good. Yeah, and that's coming off the bench. But I think bench Derrick Rose is is special Derrick Rose that we mm-hmm. is the best that we're gonna see of Derrick Rose for the remainder of his career. Yeah, for sure. But He's it's kind of funny. Man. Yeah, but you know it's kind of funny. You told me ten years ago that Derrick Rose and Blake Griffin were gonna be on the same team and the team was struggling to win games, and I wouldn't have believed you. No, but that's <laughs> that's where that's where the Detroit Pistons are right now. Yeah. yeah but you know, Luke Kennard's been looking great for them. I mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Pistons have some fun players. Rose has been fun to watch. Kennard's fun to watch. Blake's one of my favorite players, personally, to watch. I think he's really cool. Uh, yeah. Christian Wood, former mm-hmm. Sixer. 
he's finally found glad that he's finally found a role there yeah um, yeah but i think i think the best way for the sixes to upgrade because we you know we talked about trades but sixes don't really have any of the cap room for that so they're gonna probably have to wait for the buyout market and you know yeah. andre all is supposed to be a buyout player and you know there's you know people say he's gonna go to la but why not go home yeah i mean if he gets bought out obviously they should go after him it does like seem like Memphis is pretty set on not buying him out. Mm-hmm. So I would assume they're going to try to hold on to him and see if the bidding picks up at the, the trade deadline, which it probably will. Mm. But, yeah, if he gets bought out, Philly should it, for sure at least make a run. I'm not sure where he fits offensively because obviously he's not much of a shooter either. But he, he's good enough to obviously go and get him if you can. Oh yes, definitely. He definitely upgraded the bench, regardless if the shooting's there or not. But mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of any other things that really surprised. Well, Sacramento's starting to turn things around slowly, but then De'Aaron Fox got hurt, so the Warriors probably- being like a dumpster fire was kind of unexpected. Obviously, the Steph injury, you couldn't predict that. But they've I been. Mean, I- I didn't think the the D'Angelo Russell Steph Curry thing would have. I, I wasn't totally sold on it, man. I I wasn't sold on it, so I had my reserve reservations about it. But it, I think D'Angelo Russell could be a hot name on the trade market at the deadline. Mm-hmm. I know that they said that they're not going to trade him, but I mean, push comes to shove. Yeah, you're gonna player that fits more because, but okay. When Clay comes back, well, you're going to play Clay at the three after playing him at the two for so long? Yeah, I think so. Nah. I mean, I mean I think he's big enough, strong enough to do it defensively. Defensively, yeah, but he's short for a three. He's only, what, six, yeah. seven? So, I mean. Well, he's not that short. And I, I don't I, think this role would change much. Like, probably not, but I would. I mean, that backcourt now. I mean, you have Clay defending small forwards instead of shooting guards. You have D'Lo and Steph who aren't plus defenders. You know that backcourt's going to get torn up. That's why I think they make a trade, and I don't know for yeah. Who. There are definite holes there. I think they probably wait till next season to at least try it out with everyone healthy because D'Lo has played well this season. Like he looks good. He's been playing really well. There's just not enough around him and Draymond to, to do anything. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I had Golden State winning 52 games and getting the three seed. So that looks pretty bad right oh. now. So we'll just I, I happened. Um, I, I did not see them making the playoffs. I did not. If they did, I, it was yeah, the either, man, I never predicted that. Yeah. <laughs> I've been down on them all summer. That's right. Of course, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of any other surprises. Well, besides Carmelo Anthony signing with the Blazers, which I think is a wonderful move for both. I don't know. Like, you you don't like it? Has been the, well, they haven't been playing good defense, and he's a bad defender. And I'm really not convinced that he's a good offensive player at this point. Like, we, we, he's tried to do it in OKC and in Houston, and it just hasn't worked. I don't know why it would work in Portland. Well, I mean, who who else are they going to sign off the free agency market? That's that's why I'm thinking here. They can't make any Shumpert. trades. Shumpert's are actually Shumpert just got signed. I think. Yeah, I know they could have. I was yeah. Play power forward. That's what you know. Yeah, that's that's their they need. You need a power forward. I I don't know. 
I just I'm not convinced Melo's like a positive player at this point, but we'll see. They don't have much I, else to lose. They're like I mean, four and eight, I, right? Yeah, they 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 look like they could be in trouble. And I'm I mean, totally I think Melo's a better player than Terrence. Oh gosh, Terrence Jones. That's the only power forward I can think of that's on the market that's worth anything. Yeah, I mean, I'm Terrence sure there's Jones. like a G League guy somewhere that might be worth giving a shot. But not, you know, I think if you, you roll the dice at this point. I think Portland's desperate for something, and maybe Carmelo can do that. Yeah, I'm not totally against it, just because they're kind of, they seem kind of dead in the water at this point. So we'll see. Uh, oh, Chris. Yes. You forgot to talk about the, the Joel Embiid and Carl Anthony Towns fight. It's been a while. You want to it's talk been about a while. it? We can, we can, we can, we can work this in at the end and have this as All a right. closer, I think. Um, so I, I was watching the game on my phone. Yeah. And I had put my phone down for just a second, but I had my earbuds, my earphones in, and I, and I heard it, and I, you know, I heard what was going on, and so I rewinded it, and I was like, oh my goodness. First mm-hmm. off, Joel Embiid strikes again. We know this is what he does. That's why Philly loves him so much. This 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 is vintage Joel. I think our biggest question out of this fight, because I think the punishments were fair. I don't yep. think it was excessive. I think the punishments were, were fair. I think Carl started the fight. I mean, yeah, Joel, Joel yeah. antagonized him, but Carl definitely was the one that initiated the physical contact because they were locked up. And then Carl, I think, I think it was a push first, and then it was a swing, and. And you know that's fine, whatever. I think both. I think they got both got fair punishments. But I want your opinion on this, Chris. Do you think Ben was an inst- was trying to be a peacemaker, or do you think Ben was trying to actually put Carl Anthony Towns into a headlock? Because media has portrayed different things, and I want your opinion on the it. peacemaker. Yeah, I think Ben was acting as a peacemaker. He might have gotten a little aggressive there at the end. I, I can understand the chokehold maybe looking bad, but it seemed pretty clear that Ben was initially trying to break it up. Like, I don't think he went into it looking for a fight. Yeah, two games was fair, I think, on both sides. I, I Joe has racked up quite a few like technicals and flagrants here early in the season, which might come back to bite him later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I thought the shadow boxing and the tunnel was great. I thought him and Mike Scott celebrating on the sideline was great. It was all good fun. <laughs> and I, I loved Mike Scott's reaction, and I can't say it obviously. Yeah. It had I love Mike Scott, man. Who doesn't love he's Mike great. Scott? And he's having another solid shooting season. I can't complain what Mike Scott's done on the team. He's shooting, what, 37%? 37%, yeah. so that's – I can't complain about Mike Scott. But, yeah, no, I, I think that – I think you're right about uh, – Ben being a peacemaker because for those that don't know, Ben and and Cat are friends outside and they play. What do they play, Chris? They play a video game with each other all the like, time. I can't remember. Was it Fortnite? Like was it PUBG or something? Or uh, I I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't play. I, I'm, I'm too old. I'm 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 too old. I'm yeah, too old. me too, man. I uh, that's <laughs> that's 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 y'all's generation, the younger generation. That's I not my I, generation. I, I grew I grew up on Halo. That is what I grew up on. I, games. Yeah. I, don't I grew know. up on like this Harry Potter computer game. That was great stuff. Man, I had the 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 uh, Cabela's Hunter. Uh, video game growing up. I had that at one point too, on like the Wii. 
Mm-hmm. We had like a whole rifle set that it came with where you could like put the controller and this like rifle thing. And it was, yeah, we played that a lot. Did you ever play Oregon Trail? No. Let's uh, see. Now that's that's how old I am. But getting back to it, that is friends <laughs> with, and that got that we got sidetracked there. Sorry about that, folks. But no, they they're friends, so I don't think there was any. I think Ben was just because you know you have friends, and you know I I'm not advocating fighting here, but whenever there is a fight, usually friends hold their friends back, and sometimes they gotta be a little rough to do it. So I I think mm-hmm. Ben was just trying to hold his friend back. And then sure. also, you know, he was also having Joel's back at the same time. So, you know, he's really getting he, he had his cake and eat it, too, by helping his friend off the court and have, helping his teammate and friend on the court. So, you know, like yeah, that, I so. think all the punishments were fair. I didn't think Ben should have gotten anything. Mm-hmm. And two games is a good number. Like, I think it was handled well all around. The social media exchange afterwards, Embiid went a yeah. little over the top there at the end. Bringing like up his second cat. little tirade, not tirade, that's not the right word. His second tweet mm. was a little bit much. I wasn't on board with that one. But, yeah, for the most part, it was, it was all handled well. Yeah, the social media thing afterwards, but that's just that's just this generation. That's what I noticed. Yeah. This generation, uh, you know, that generation doesn't really care about, you know, they, they'll say... And I say that generation, and Joel's like only like one or two years younger than me. But like you know, the social media—I didn't have a smartphone until I was like twenty, so I can't. Really know. Um, yeah. But you get what I'm saying, like you know, people just mm-hmm. use social media now, and you know that's where they have their fights on, and you know their real fights. So, uh, you know, I didn't like it. You know, I think you you say that, you know, you either say it on the court, or, but. You know, and I think it's not great for as a role model, but, you know, athletes, you know, some athletes view themselves as role models, some don't. And maybe I can't speak for Joel Embiid, but um, those uh, those mm-hmm. posts were definitely not role model material for sure. Um, for sure. But, you know, it's over with. It's done. I just wanted to touch on that because we uh, that podcast, well, our last podcast, did, uh, that was before that fight. So. I think that's all of our major stuff that we wanted to touch on there, Chris. Um, you want to finish this up? Yeah. Thanks again, guys, for listening. We we should be back here pretty soon with another podcast. Of course, you can follow the site at thesixersense.com. Follow us on Twitter at Sixersense. Follow Lucas on Twitter at LucasJohnsonNBA. And follow me at KleinNBA, K-L-I-N-E. And we will talk to you guys soon. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.